Good morning, Ramp Church Manchester. It is such a joy to be sharing with you this morning, discussing some of the things that God is speaking to us right here in the middle of this very unusual moment. Before I get too far into that, let me introduce myself for those of you that may not know me yet. My name is Micah Wood, and my wife and I are lead pastors of Ramp Church Hamilton right here in Alabama in the States. We're sort of the Joe and Stacy counterpart on the state side, but not nearly as cool as Joe and Stacy. You guys have a real treasure in your lead pastors. But like I said a moment ago, there's a lot in my heart about what God wants to speak to us from His Word today about the moment that we're living in. I believe He wants to speak to us as the church about some specific things that He wants us to do, that He wants us to engage in. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Scripture first out of Ezekiel chapter 22, verse number 30. And then after that, I want to share a dream with you that really has a lot to say to us. But first, let's begin with Scripture because it's going to give us the context and the grounding that we need to talk about this dream. Ezekiel 22, verse number 30. So I sought for a man among them. This is God speaking. So I sought for a man among them who would make up a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. This is a really sobering scripture, but before I get too far down that road, let me share with you this dream I had just a few weeks ago. Now in the dream, I'm in a specific church here in Alabama, and the name of the church is First Wesleyan. Now. I don't think that specific church is that important, but I do think its name is important, and I'll come back to that a little bit later. I'm in this church entitled First Wesleyan, and as I'm there, you know, I'm dressed appropriately for the kind of church that it is. You know, here at the Ramp and Ramp Church, we dress a little more casually than other traditional churches, but I'm in this church that's a little more traditional, so I'm, I'm wearing a blazer, I'm, I'm dressed appropriately for that situation, and you know, the, the church service is going, I'm sitting there by myself, kind of on down the road from me as another individual uh, that I don't know, I'm not there with anyone, and as I'm sitting there, just a part of the service, all of, all of a sudden, I begin to feel a breeze blowing on me, and I think it's kind of unusual, and the reason I feel like it's unusual is it feels like a breeze from outside. Now, you could have thought, well, was it just a vent that turned on or was there some kind of fan that turned on? And, and I knew specifically this breeze is not coming from some kind of vent or fan. I know this is a breeze from outside, but it doesn't make sense. I'm sitting inside of a sanctuary. How can I be feeling this breeze right now? And just to be honest, it was making me a little chilly. I was getting a little uncomfortable. So the gentleman that was on the same row as me, I, I began to turn to him and I was about to say to him, do you feel that breeze? Are you getting a little chilly? And as I am turning to make that statement, all of a sudden, this whirlwind shows up in the room. Now, when I say whirlwind, let me explain that just a moment. I don't mean a tornado. Now, here in the South, in the United States, we get a lot of tornadoes. They're very destructive. They're very chaotic. You know, it's just this cylinder of wind that comes through and it tears up communities. It wasn't like that. It didn't feel chaotic. It didn't feel evil or destructive in that sense. It was more of a whirlwind where it was like a wind that was blowing, but it was doing it in circular fashion. And when this whirlwind came in, it picked everybody up in the sanctuary and we all begin to swirl around the room together. And so while I am in the air caught in this whirlwind, I'm thinking several different things. Number one, I'm thinking, God is real. This is crazy. God is real and I'm experiencing him right now. And I realize as I'm caught up in this whirlwind that the wind, that little breeze that I experienced just a few moments before, 
that that was God as well. Though it wasn't a full whirlwind yet, it was certainly something that I was experiencing individually, but now we're all caught up in this. So I'm thinking this God is real. The second thing I'm thinking is, wow, is this what revival is like? And I real I realized in that moment how much I had limited my own expectation for revival, how much I had defined it by my own limitations rather than realizing that when God shows up in a room, he can just show up in a room and take over and he doesn't have to ask permission from anybody. So I'm thinking about that saying, wow, is this what revival's like? And if this is what revival's like, I want revival. I need to pray for revival. The third thing I was thinking is this is so unusual because no one in this church is even asking God to do this. No one in this church is even praying for revival. God's just showing up because he wants to show up. So I'm in the air, caught in this whirlwind, along with everybody else in the First Wesleyan Church, and I'm just really amazed. I'm, I'm blown away, no pun intended, as I'm being carried by this whirlwind, and all this is going through my mind. All of a sudden, I'm dropped out of the whirlwind, boom, right into the middle of the sanctuary. I'm, and I'm just kind of landing there stunned, and I'm looking around, and there's a group of men that have also just been dropped out of the whirlwind. So we're all kind of sitting there in the middle of the sanctuary in a, in a circle, looking at each other, stunned. <clears throat> and the moment that I'm dropped out of the whirlwind, all of a sudden, boom, I begin to prophesy out of my mouth. And when I say I prophesy out of my mouth, here's what I mean. I don't mean I thought of something to say, and then I said it. It's not like I was trying to be appropriate to the moment. I knew... As I started to declare something with my mouth, my brain didn't know what I was saying. My mind was not consulted first. It was not that I reasoned into saying something. I knew that God simply took control of my mouth and begin to speak through me to those that were sitting there out of the whirlwind. So I begin to just declare this thing, and here's what I say as I'm dropped out of the whirlwind. I say, God is looking for watchmen or cities will be no more, just like the nine cities in the west of Israel. And when I get done saying that, all of a sudden I come out of that prophetic moment and I look around at the men sitting around me and I say, what does that even mean? And I kind of had a lighthearted humor to it. Though the message was kind of a heavy message, it was still kind of humorous to me because God just showing up and doing stuff and there's a certain level of joy when God just shows up. So I prophesy that God is looking for watchmen or cities will be no more, just like the nine cities in the west of Israel. I'm kind of come out of that and I go, what does that even mean? And then I also say by the Spirit, something about a name that starts with a B. And in the dream, I didn't know exactly what name I was saying, but I said, but we need to pay attention to, and I use this name that starts with a B. Now, I'll also say, as the whirlwind's coming in, and as I'm prophesying this to the guys around me, I'm very aware of the character Ezekiel, because Ezekiel is caught up in a whirlwind. Ezekiel is commissioned to be a watchman. And I encourage you sometime soon to get into the book of Ezekiel and see what God has to say, because there's a lot going on in that book. But the dream's not over yet. I'm dropped out of the whirlwind. I deliver this prophetic message. My mind doesn't even know what it means. I look at the guys around me and I say, what does that even mean? And as I get up, I'm walking out of the church. And as I'm walking out of the church, I overhear something. I just walked out of the sanctuary. I'm on into the foyer, about to go into the parking lot. And as I'm walking out, I hear either the pastor or the person that's, you know, sort of emceeing the service. I hear them going on with church announcements. And all of a sudden I realize, oh, 
Though God interrupted the entire service with a whirlwind, after the whirlwind was over, they decided to just go back to service as usual and act like it never happened. And I was pretty sad as the dream was ending. So, kind of an unusual dream, maybe really an unusual dream, but I think it really identifies a lot of important things for us in this moment, in this hour, and who God has called us to be. So let me point out different things about the dream, different highlights from the dream, though each moment can certainly be expanded quite a bit. Let me start with the place where I was in the dream. I was in the first Wesleyan church. Now, I believe one of the things that God wants to do, not only in the United States or in England, but across the earth, is he wants to reopen some wells of revival. Why did the whirlwind show up at the first Wesleyan church? I'm sure you're familiar with the revival history of John Wesley, Charles Wesley, and what we refer to as the First Great Awakening, where there was this movement, especially in England and America, concerning revival, where people got sovereignly saved by the ministry of the Holy Spirit as he operated through key ministers, one of those being John Wesley. And here's something God has spoken to us very much lately, that prayers, promises, and intercessors never die. Once a prayer is prayed, it keeps rumbling in heaven. Once a promise is given, that promise stands until its full fulfillment happens on the earth. And an intercessor, even when they die, their ministry is not over. They go into heavenly places and begin to co-labor with the heart of God for the full fulfillment of his kingdom on the earth. Therefore, every revival you see in history was not to be, was never meant to be the pinnacle of that revival. Every revival in history was meant to be a precursor or a forerunner of something that was to come. Same thing here on the earth with the first great awakening, the second great awakening, and everything God has done since then. During those awakenings, during those awakenings, there were men and women of God who prayed prayers and received promises that they have not yet seen the fullness of. And you and I, we are called to inherit those promises and see revival in our day. So the whirlwind came into First Wesleyan Church, and I think it's because the Lord is saying there's a Wesleyan well that I want to reopen for England and for the United States. There's some revival history that I want to bring out of history into the present to see cities transformed by the power of God. That's the first thing. The whirlwind showed up to First Wesleyan. The second thing the whirlwind itself. What in the world? As I said a moment ago, as I was up in the air, it was recalibrating, redefining my ideas about revival. And it made me realize I have put God way too much in a box. So let me get vulnerable with you about something. Through the years, revival has been a frequent topic of prayer, not only for Ramp Church, but also for the larger body of Christ. But over the last couple of years, I found myself getting weary with praying for revival. And I think the reason why I've gotten weary with praying for revival is because I allowed my own thinking to define what revival is. But in that dream when I was caught up in the whirlwind, and I was thinking to myself, if this is revival, 
I have no idea what revival is. If this is what the men and women of old meant when they said the word revival, that's not what I thought that they meant because this is something different. And if this is revival, God, I want revival. Several years ago, a minister by the name of Lou Engel had a dream, and in the dream, he visited the ramp. When he came to the ramp, he said every single person was consumed with this simple prayer, God, send revival. God, send revival. He said we would try to talk to one another and carry on a funny conversation, and then all of a sudden, we would be interrupted because the overflow of our heart would come out of our mouths, and we would simply say, God, send revival. This is a prayer I believe that God wants us to take up and to pray over our cities, over our churches. God, show up in a whirlwind. God, show up to people who are not looking for you. God, show up where you're not even necessarily invited and do something that only you can do. Show up in your glory and change lives. That's the second point of the dream that I want to point out. The first point is that there are some wells of revival God wants to reopen in our day. The second point is I believe God wants to redefine our own thinking concerning revival, our own thinking about what God can do when we pray. You see, I've always had this idea God can only do what we give him permission to do. And on some level, that's true because he's delegated authority to us on the earth. But in that dream, it really challenged that thinking because God just showed up. And at the end of the day, Psalm 115 says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he wants. And what if our prayers stopped limiting our expectation on God? What if we instead said, God, show up and do whatever you want to do. Do more than we can even ask or think because our thinking is way too small and we want you to do something that just simply takes over. Come in the whirlwind. So God wants to reopen wells of revival. God wants to redefine our idea about revival so we can pray again that simple prayer, God send revival. Then of course, a very notable part is when I get dropped down out of the whirlwind and I prophesy and I say, God is looking for watchmen. Now when I say God is looking for watchmen, in the dream I know exactly what I mean. And what I mean is this, God is looking for people who will take responsibility for their land. In the place of prophetic insight and in the place of intercession. God is looking for people who don't just casually go through their lives and saying whatever happens, happens. No, God is looking for people who will be watchmen to say, God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear what's happening in the realm of the spirit concerning my city because I want to engage in intercession. I want to engage in prayer and see your kingdom prevail. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And again, I said in the dream, God's looking for watchmen or cities will be no more. In other words, when God cannot find watchmen, when God cannot find intercessors, it makes our cities vulnerable to the plan and the attack of the enemy. That's why right here in Ezekiel 22, verse 30, it says God is looking for a man, an intercessor to stand on the wall. You know who stood on the walls of cities? Watchmen. They stood on the wall to see what was coming. Then they did something about what they saw that was coming. So God's saying, I'm looking for a watchman, someone who will stand in the gap, someone who will make up a wall so that the city will not be destroyed. In other words, if I find a watchman, then tragedy can be averted. 
But if I don't find the watchman, then the city becomes vulnerable to chaos and destruction. So like I said a moment ago, there is a level of sobriety in what I'm saying because God is calling us with urgency to be intercessors, to take responsibility for our land to see mercy triumph over judgment. Now, there's another very unusual part in this dream that I want to share, not only because it has application for us, but also because it confirms how much it is actually a word from God. So again, I say, God's looking for watchmen or cities will be no more, just like the nine cities in the west of Israel. Now, after I woke up, I thought to myself, I have no idea what that means, the nine cities in the west of Israel. Are there even nine cities in the west of Israel that experience God's judgment? Is that in the book of Ezekiel? Is that somewhere else in scripture? Or is this some sort of odd thing that I said in the dream? So I began to do some research, and as I did, it led me to a book. And I was reading this book online that was introducing different books of the Bible just sort of like an, a survey book, you know, a, a brief introduction to each book. So I get to the section that I think is introducing the book of Ezekiel. And as I'm reading this introduction, it begins to talk about the first chapter. And it says, in the first chapter, the prophet begins to name nine cities that are prepared for judgment. These nine cities are west of Jerusalem in Israel. Now, when I read that, first and foremost, I am stunned. I am blown away because I'm just thinking to myself, God, you are real. You're, you're crazy. How can it be that I have a dream about something that I don't even know if it's accurate or even exists, and I go into Scripture, and boom, there it is. So I'm blown away. I'm like, nine cities. They're in the west of Israel. And this commentary is saying they're prepared for destruction. Let me go to Scripture. Let me go to Ezekiel chapter 1 and read what nine cities there are. So I go to Ezekiel chapter 1. I open it up, and there's nothing about any cities, you know, other than where Ezekiel is, and he sees the whirlwind, and he sees the glory of God, and he sees the fire of God. It's all exciting, but I'm thinking to myself, where are the nine cities? Is this commentary wrong? So then I go back to the book online, and I begin to just read a little further up, and I realize that that particular section I was reading was not introducing the book of Ezekiel. It was introducing the book of Micah. In Micah chapter 1, verses 10 through 15, the prophet Micah names nine cities in the west of Israel that are being singled out for destruction through judgment. What was so crazy about that is my name, if you forgot, is Micah. And it was found in the book of Micah. What does that even mean? I don't know other than... Maybe it's a sign and a wonder. You know, signs point to something. Wonders make you wonder. They say, God, what are you even doing? But they get our attention, and I think that's what's going on there. Is in the book of Micah, nine cities in the west of Israel, Micah chapter 1, verses 10 through 15, are designated for destruction. Now, here's something interesting about that as God is calling us to be watchmen. In, those, in that passage, each city... Its name is somehow connected to its judgment. In other words, the prophet Micah has a poetic flair to him, like the other prophets in Scripture. A lot of the prophets actually write in poetic format. The prophet Micah is just like that. And he uses the city's name to talk about the kind of destruction that is coming, which shows me something about our call as watchmen. You know, over our cities, there is a war of identity. There's this war between the prophetic destiny God has spoken over our cities and 
the identity that the enemy, the devil, wants to give our cities. And we as watchmen are called to hear what God says about our city and to contend so that the name of the enemy, which brings judgment, that name is not established over our cities. That's what it is to be a watchman, is we become fathers and mothers of cities that take responsibility and say, no, the enemy doesn't get to name our city. God's prophetic destiny for our city, that is what's going to come forth. Revival is what's going to define our city. Now, concerning these nine cities, let me say one other thing that's, again, just a sign and a wonder that makes you go, wow, God is real and he is really speaking to us about being watchmen. Let me get a drink of water and I'll jump right into it. So, the first time I shared this dream with some of our team at Ramp Church, it was a Sunday night. That's when we do our Sunday services here in Hamilton. I had the dream on a Saturday night. The next day on Sunday, we're in a prayer meeting, pre-service prayer, and I share this dream about being watchmen in the nine cities of judgment. I just go through the whole thing. As I'm sharing the dream, one of our leaders here, whose name is Josh, he, he is listening to the dream, and he says he hears almost audibly from the Lord. The Holy Spirit is so loud in, within, within, his, within his mind and his heart. He hears the name Linda, and he knows the Holy Spirit is telling him, hey, you need to remember this dream and share it with this lady named Linda, who he knows. Now, this lady named Linda, she, is, uh, she coordinates and leads this national prayer network, this sort of global network of intercessors, and they pray together consistently. They do a whole conference call where they get together. I don't know if it's about once a month or biweekly, something like that. They get together and they pray, and Josh has helped lead some of these prayer meetings before, though he's not been in touch with Linda recently. So he hears in his spirit the name Linda, and he knows, oh, I need to share with Linda this dream later because I think that prayer network needs to be aware of it so they can lean in in prayer as watchmen. Now, while he's at service that night, his phone is actually dead. But when he gets home, he plugs up his phone, and he turns it on, and he realizes this lady, Linda, had texted him about five times during the service trying to get in touch with him because she wanted him that week to lead the global prayer call for this prayer network. And as he went back and he looked at the time that the text came through, the first time she texted him was while I was sharing that dream in the prayer meeting. So it's pretty amazing stuff. So he sees the text messages. He's so excited because he knows, oh, God wants me to share this dream with this prayer network to call them to be watchmen over cities. So a few days goes by, and on that Wednesday morning, he shares the dream. He gets on the prayer call, and he begins to share with all these intercessors, hey, you know, uh, my friend, Pastor Michael Wood, he had this dream, goes through the whole dream, nine cities, God's called us to be watchmen, or cities will be no more, goes through the whole thing. After he gets done sharing the dream, Linda gets back on the call, and she is just going crazy. She goes, guys, guys, Josh has no idea what we've been doing. She starts to explain to Josh that that day, they were ending a nine-day fast targeting nine cities in the United States because they feel the call to be watchmen. 
This is so crazy, I cannot make it up. It is just God happenings, signs, and wonders. Nine-day fast, targeting nine cities in America, praying as watchmen, and then God speaks to them through this dream, hey, continue to take your post as watchmen because I want to give my protective shield to cities of the earth. God is calling us to partner with him to see his kingdom come, his will to be done, revival to break out in cities, and we're part of that as watchmen. Now, the next point of the dream, of course, God's calling us to be watchmen so that judgment doesn't come to our cities, but instead revival comes. Now, next part, I say in the dream, pay attention to, and again, I said this name that starts with a B, and I knew in the dream when I wake up, I need to research some B names in the Bible because it has some kind of insight about being a watchman, and we need to know what it is. So I wake up, and again, I write the whole dream down, and I'm praying through it, and I'm researching different places in Scripture. And as I'm going through this research, I'm thinking to myself, okay, what are some B names in Scripture that can teach us what it looks like to be a watchman? And I found two names. The first one is the name of a man. The second one is the name of a city. The first one is a man by the name of Bezalel. Now, Bezalel worked with Moses to build the tabernacle. He was the artisan God filled with wisdom in order to create the tabernacle that Moses saw on Mount Sinai. So that is really cool, but I'm not going to dive into the application for artisans, though there's a lot there. I want to talk about the meaning of Bezalel's name. Bezalel means under the shadow of God. And when I realized that that's what Bezalel meant, it just erupted on the inside of me. Of course, that's what watchmen do. They bring cities under the shadow of God. And as soon as I say that, you may think to yourself, that sounds like Psalm 91, and you're correct. That's exactly what it sounds like. Because in Psalm chapter 91, it shows us what it looks like when a person is under the shadow of God, but in the dream, God's calling us to bring cities under the shadow of God. And here's what it says in Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So when you as an intercessor dwell in the secret place, it brings you under the shadow of God. And when you're under the shadow of the Almighty, the rest of Psalm 91 is the result where you are in the place of refuge. You're in the place of protection from pestilence, from plague, from sickness. You are in the place of protection from judgment, from attack from the enemy. When God finds watchmen, he's able to bring cities under the shadow of the Almighty so that revival comes rather than judgment. So a lot to think about with the name Bezalel. Now, again, like I said, that's not the only B name that I found that applies in the context of the dream. Bezalel is one under the shadow of the Almighty. The second one is the name of the city. And the name of a city that starts with a B is Bezer or Betzer. Betzer is the name of a city in Scripture that, again, applies in the message of us being watchmen. What is the big deal with the city Betzer? Well, three things about this city that teaches us something about being watchmen. Number one, the meaning of the name Betzer. Betzer means an inaccessible place. Because of where it was located geographically, it was inaccessible. 
which meant it was safe. So when we become watchmen, when we become those Ezekiels that stand on the wall, that stand in the gap in intercession, what happens? Our cities, Bezalel, comes under the protective shadow of God. And when our cities are under the protective shadow of God, they become inaccessible to the enemy. Bet's there. They become inaccessible to attack and God is able to move in our city. Now, that's just the first thing about Bethsaida is its name, inaccessible place. The second thing about Bethsaida is this. Not only was it in an inaccessible place, but it is also a Levitical city. Now, in ancient Israel, there were 46 Levitical cities. Why were there so many cities that were Levitical cities? Well, here's the idea. Every tribe in Israel had land that was given to them. Judah had a certain bit of land. Benjamin had a certain bit of land. Asher had a certain bit of land. All the tribes had a bit of land. The only tribe that did not have a full section of land given to it was the tribe of Levi. Why? Because they were a consecrated tribe. And God said to the tribe of Levi, you do not get an inheritance of land among the children of Israel for I am your inheritance and you are my inheritance. What an amazing promise. God's basically saying to Levi and the tribe of Levi, look, everybody else gets stuff, but you don't have to settle for stuff. You get me. You get presents. What an incredible promise, especially when you realize that we are called to be a royal priesthood. But that's a whole other message. So, the tribe of Levi, though they didn't have land given to them, they still had to live somewhere in Israel. So what happened is among all the tribes of Israel, each of them designated certain cities that were called to be Levitical cities. Because when the Levites were not serving in the tabernacle or later in the temple, they had to live somewhere. So they lived in these cities with common lands. These cities were referred to as Levitical cities. So when we talk about the city of Bethsaida, yes, it was inaccessible. It was protected. But also it was a Levitical city, meaning it was a city filled with the presence of God. When God is able to find watchmen who will take ownership for their land, ownership for their city, not only does it bring the protective shadow of God that keeps it safe from judgment, but it becomes a city that is filled with the presence of God. So people can have deep, life-transforming encounters in that place. That's not the only thing, though, that's significant about the city. Yes, Bethsaida is an inaccessible spot. Yes, it's a Levitical city. But the last thing is the city was referred to as a city of refuge. Now, a little bit more homework here. Levitical cities, there were 46 of them in Israel. Out of those 46 Levitical cities, there were six that were referred to as cities of refuge. What was the city of refuge? Well, in the Old Testament, if you killed someone, if you murdered them, then what was called the avenger had the legal right to take your life. But there was a little bit of a loophole in that process. If you accidentally killed one, if you killed someone without evil intent, it was just something that happened, then you could run to a city of refuge and be protected from the avenger until the avenger died. So though you were deserving of death, you could go to a city of refuge and be safe 
until the judgment of the avenger passed over you. So when we talk about cities of refuge, what are we saying? A city of refuge is where someone can run for salvation. A city of refuge is where someone can run to be safe. So when God finds watchmen, cities come under the shadow of God, cities become filled with the presence of God, and cities become places of salvation where people who deserve judgment and death all of us, that's all of us, we're all sinners. But because of the gracious work of Jesus Christ, he wants our cities to become places of salvation and healing as people put their trust in him. And all of this is accomplished simply when God is able to find intercessors, when God is able to find watchmen. Now, last thing here for us, and then I'll wrap up. I thank you for being patient during kind of this long message and this long dream. Last thing for us is this. As I was walking out of the church in the dream, again, I heard the announcements going on. I heard kind of things going back to normal, and it really it broke my heart. It made me sad because I realized when God showed up in the whirlwind, he showed up without permission. He just showed up because he wanted to. However, he left there the reaction to what he did he left that up to the people's choice in other words he came in he moved he did something unusual but then what they did with what he did he allowed them to decide and i was heartbroken that they chose not to become watchmen they chose to just go back to church as usual and ignore that a whirlwind had just showed up. Now, the moment that we're in right now, it's kind of like we're in a whirlwind moment. So much is chaotic, so much is going on in the nations of the earth. I don't want to, after this moment, just go back to life as usual, church as usual, just going on with my routine. I want to hear what God is saying in the middle of the whirlwind, and I want to set myself as a watchman to prayer and fasting. And I know that's your desire as well. God wants to show up and do unusual things. And out of that unusual movement of his spirit, he's not just showing up to make our church services better. He's not just showing up to make us feel better. He is showing up to commission us as watchmen. And my prayer is that each of us hear the call to intercession. Why? Because if we'll become intercessors, our cities will come under the shadow of the Almighty. And when our cities come under the shadow of the Almighty, they become inaccessible to the enemy, they become filled with the presence of God, and they become places of salvation as people encounter, experience, and put their faith in the living Jesus. So just to close this morning's message, I simply want to pray with you. And as we pray together, I want to invite you just to open up your heart to say, Lord, the application for my life, speak to me about what that looks like. Where do you want me to go? Being a watchman, God, that seems so, you know, just sort of large. What does that even look like? Well, I know as you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you, he'll identify just some key action steps for you to begin to engage your life as an intercessor for the sake of your city. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you are not just a God in heaven, that occasionally does stuff when you feel like it. No, but Lord, you are a God who is intimately involved. You are a speaking God. You have eyes that see. You have ears that hear. You have a mouth that speaks. And I thank you that you're speaking to us right now about being watchmen, about being people who will take ownership for our city, that will take ownership for our land, 
and we will say, God, we want mercy to triumph over judgment. We want your hand to come upon us. We want your presence to fill us. Lord, we want your shield to surround us, and we want our city to become a city of refuge, a place where other people encounter you in salvation and healing and deliverance. So Lord, and deliverance, Lord, we ask that by your spirit you would lead us to become the intercessors you've called us to be, the watchmen you've called us to be, in Jesus' name, amen. Ramp Church, Manchester, we love you, we bless you, we are praying for you, and hopefully sooner than later we'll see each other again.